0: Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim the bookshelf and read the world. Today, I'm talking to Paula Hawkins about her latest book, A Slow Fire Burning, which is out now from Riverhead Books. You can find a complete transcript of this episode over on our website, readingwomenpodcast.com, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Today, I'm talking to Paula Hawkins, the uh, author of the incredibly successful novel The Girl on the Train, which has sold over 23 million copies worldwide and has been adapted into a major Muslim picture starring Emily Blunt. So I remember was starting out uh, with Reading Women and it had It was about the time that The Girl on the Train had come out and had been on the bestseller list. It was a whole thing. And that was at the beginning of uh, Reading Women. And now I'm talking to Paula Hawkins about her third novel, A Slow Fire Burning. You may also remember she had a New York Times bestselling novel, Into the Water, as her sophomore book. And now she's back So today we are talking about her third novel, A Slow Fire Burning, and this novel is about the death of a young man and the three different women who are connected to him in some way and how that affects their lives. You have his aunt, uh, his one night stand and uh, his neighbor and so all of these characters have such entangled lives and you begin to try to untangle them and, and to figure out the motivations behind their different choices. One of the things that I enjoy about Paula Hawkins's books is that her stories are very character driven and she really wants to get into the heads of her characters to figure out why they do what they do and I think she very much succeeds in that and I always enjoy learning how books are made, Um, but I also really enjoy talking to Paula about how, you know, a lot of people expect success to walk hand in hand with confidence, and that's not necessarily the case. And also she shares about one of the characters in the book, Laura, uh, who really was the first character that came to mind when she began this project and Laura was my favorite character from the book and I don't want to give you uh, too many spoilers none preferably and so I won't go on about what the book is about anymore but uh, I hope you really enjoy uh, this conversation. And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is Humanities New York. I always try to keep up with conversations with authors and just educating myself continually on books. It's a a true love, always learning. So I wanted to tell you about this year's Humanities with New York's annual benefit event. So this year, you can join New York Times number one bestselling author George Saunders in his conversation with author and professor Imani Perry for Humanity, New York's third annual history and at the American Imagination Benefit. The live discussion will take place online on October 5th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. You can purchase your tickets at humanitiesny.org and use the code readingwomen for half off membership tickets. And that's humanitiesny.org and use the code readingwomen for half off membership for your tickets. All right, well, I hope you've grabbed your tickets, and I'll see you there. Uh, So a little bit about Paula before we get started. You know, she worked as a journalist for 15 years before writing fiction, and we've already mentioned the incredible success of her first book, The Girl on the Train, but her second book, Into the Water, was also a Sunday Times and New York Times number one bestseller. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Paula Hawkins. Well, welcome to the podcast, Paula. I am really excited to chat with you today. Thank you so much for having me. This is your third book, and you've had a lot of success in your past books um, with Girl on the Train and Into the Water, and it's been wonderful to watch your career as it has blossomed. Uh, But I feel like a lot of people uh, kind of assume that you immediately have this immense amount of confidence once you reach a certain level of success. But, uh, you know, I imagine that each new book kind of has its own challenges and, and things, uh, a part of you that you're putting out into the world. So for you, what, what has that felt like, um getting ready to put another book out during, I guess, that very difficult time for book publishing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Every Every novel is different and it's always a very anxious time for me, definitely putting a novel out. I think, in fact, I th- people may assume that having a big success means that all goes away. But for me, actually, it made, I think it made my, some of my anxieties worse because you know that... There's on that, suddenly there's all these people waiting to see what you do next. And you know that there's going to be a lot of attention focused on what you do. And that brings with it its own pressure. So um, it's definitely a very daunting time when, when a novel is, is published. It's exciting. Usually, obviously, one gets to go and do some touring, one gets to go around and meet readers and that kind of thing. And obviously, this time, because of the pandemic, there's been a lot less of that. So it's been quite a strange run-up to, to the publication of a slow fire burning
0: yeah I mean and I imagine you were writing and editing this book uh during the first part of the pandemic last year
1: I was and I mean, I was very fortunate that i I knew what I was I already had my characters in my head. I already had the shape of the story I'd kind of done a first draft. I might have even done two drafts before that so By the time the pandemic hit and we were all locked down, I knew exactly what I needed to do and I could just focus. So I was fortunate in that sense, because I think if I'd been trying to start a new novel, it would have been very, very difficult to do it at that point. As it was, having no other distractions and just being sort of forced to focus on one thing was probably quite good for me. Um, but yeah, it was also a very uncertain time. So it was quite a strange time to be to be writing something when you didn't really know when it was going to be introduced to the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can only I can only imagine for you. Do you normally get to know your characters verse first and then the plot comes out of those? Or do you meet a bunch of characters and then you select the ones that you think are good for the story? How does that process work for you?
1: I mean, I always start with character. That's always the the start of a novel for me. It'll be somebody that I've been thinking about for a while. I might have a number of characters in my head and then I have to just choose one. And um, So with A Girl on the Train, it was, it, you know, it started with Rachel. In this novel, A Slow Fire Burning, it starts with Laura. So Laura is this young woman who's um, had a really difficult start in life. She's in her 20s now, but she had an accident when she was a child that left her with some, some um, problems, both physical and mental she's also left with a very difficult relationship with her family and I was thinking about what it would be like to navigate the world as a person like that a person who who, who feels very much on her own who's sometimes very harshly judged by other people because they don't really understand where it is she's coming from um and I, I do like to write about people who sort of are outsiders, who don't quite fit, who aren't meeting society's expectations in some way. I find those characters really intriguing. And I think there's, you know, there's, they're always, it's easy to see them in in dramatic conflict situations. So I started with Laura and then I had to find a a story for her. And I didn't know what that story would be, but I was, this was back in 2018. I was um, here in London, in England doing a lot of walking around central London where I live. There's a canal that runs right the way through the centre of London, east to west called Regent's Canal. And there are houseboats on it. On it, So people live down there. And I was quite intrigued by that, by what you know, what sort of person would choose to live on a houseboat. What sort of community is that? Um, every now and again, you'll come across one of the boats that sort of looks like it hasn't been touched for many years. There's sort of slightly sinking into the water. The windows are filthy. It didn't strike me that you could have. There could be anything inside. There could be human remains inside. Um, so that was that was where this idea started to sort of form. Uh, that the character and the setting, and from there, I started to build slowly, slowly around that a whole cast of characters and a whole network of interlocking plots.
0: So when you're writing the, the characters' stories, and you begin to learn how. They intertwine with each other. Are you ever surprised by the plot twists that come about in your storytelling?
1: I think definitely you'll um, you'll start to make connections in your mind while you're in the thick of the writing that you hadn't anticipated. So you think I mean I'll have a very broad structure of where I where I think I'm going. I know who done it. I kind of I have to know an end point. But I think sometimes as you're writing in the writing and you're really living with these characters, different connections and different ideas will start suggesting themselves to you. And that, for me, I think is where the best writing happens. Actually, it's that spontaneous stuff when you suddenly realize, oh, actually, I could go. I could they could meet in this way or they could discover something else about themselves or what have you, you know, any uh, kind of connection. But I think those things suggest themselves to you when you're already deep into your story. So, which is why I don't like to plot everything too carefully. I, I want to leave plenty of space to kind of surprise myself as I go along.
0: I I love that you leave yourself that space. Cause I can't imagine trying to keep everything straight. And I love that your, your books are so focused on character. For me, that's my favorite parts of books. Most of my favorite stories are character driven in that way. And these characters are so vibrant and like f- fleshed out on all these different ways. And the relationships are so intricately twined. It's it's like the further you get into the book, you the tighter you find the weave to be. And that was something incredibly wonderful to read about the book. And I don't want to say how that works out, because obviously that would be a spoiler. <laughs> um, but there are such a wide range of characters in this book. How did you keep all of their stories straight without finding yourself having like those contradictions that the copy editors catch or or, or things like that
1: oh there were still some contradictions for the copy editors <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but no i mean as
1: i as i've talked talked about bit, I've, I've hinted at is um it's a slow process for me i need to live with these people for a little while to get to know them really well to think about how it is that they came to be in the situations that they find themselves in my novel, because that's very much what interests me. It's not so much the act of violence at the heart of a crime novel, or indeed even the the police procedure that goes on while uh, while the the crime is solved. It's very much like, how do people get to this point that they're behaving in these extreme ways that they might be making these terrible choices? And what's going to, how how is this going to play out afterwards? How are they affected psychologically by what has just happened to them or by what they've just done? So that is the the stuff that I really like to get, to get into. And it does take a while and you've got to really know the the characters and you've got to have thought about them for quite some time about what kind of person is this? What kind of, how would I be if I, if that had happened to me, you know, if I'd suffered a tragic loss, how, how would I be 10 years later? How would I be five years later? What, What would, what would my life be like? And so I think that kind of character development, which is, what I love to do it takes a while you're not going to be able to flesh somebody out in the space of a week or two you have to live with them you have to to think about who they are for quite some time
0: and one of the recurring themes in the book is this uh, the looming events that happened in the character's past and there's a there's a few different ones so I again no spoilers so I won't give all the details of that but uh, the, you know, Laura, for example, you mentioned that she had an accident as a child and uh, there is another accident that happens that has happened in the past, I should say, uh, before the book starts. And these characters and their relationships are never the same after that. Was that part of your character development, kind of learning what had happened in the past and, and that kind of informs their decisions in the present?
1: Oh yeah, very much so. I'm I'm fascinated by origin stories, by how people become the people they are when we when we first meet them, and I think that's that for me is is something that I that I do all the time. I, I read um you know a story in a newspaper and uh, about something that's happened to somebody, and I and I wonder what this means. What will this mean for them later in life? How will it how will it affect them? So that that whole that is very much a big theme of this book that the, the traumas and the tragedies and the incidents of your past live with you and if you don't deal with them they can nag at you it could be your guilt or your shame or your desire for revenge or something can live inside you and just slowly eat away at you until some point in the future it all it's all going to you know well it's going to burst into flames it's it's that idea of the that that seed of of your own destruction being inside you and eating away slowly at you
0: and with these two accidents there's this almost idea of what what is unforgivable? What is forgivable? How do you have a relationship when something that tragic has happened to you both in a certain way? And is it possible to have a relationship moving forward? And what does that look like? And thinking about these recurring themes, it was very thought provoking, because you wonder, like, if I was in that position, and this accident had happened, to, uh, you know, my sibling's child or my child, like, would I be able to forgive the people involved in that accident? I'm I'm not sure. And I found it, you know, as these characters are working out those questions, you're kind of processing that along with them thinking, what would I do? Absolutely. I think that um, that whole, th-
1: the issues around forgiveness and what you can forgive and what you feel you'd be able to forgive it's really complicated I think it differs from person to person I think none of us can really know if we were in that situation I can think I I know that most of us will probably feel that we'd have a desire to forgive particularly if something happened that isn't somebody's intention It's it's a mistake it's an accident it's something we would have a desire to forgive but then some things are by their very nature, they seem to us to be unforgivable, and and that was a bit, that's a that's a theme that ran throughout the book. That the decision to pursue revenge or pursue forgiveness—obviously, forgiveness is the the way we feel we ought to go—but is it the most cathartic way? Is that will that will that make you feel better? Will it help you to heal? There's also a question I think that I was thinking about a lot: is what what would appropriate justice look like for these people? Who, does anyone get what they deserve? Does, and and how does that relate to our you know our real lives where we look around and bad things happen all the time and it seems like the people who are responsible aren't getting, um you know don't get their just desserts. And I think a lot of us, a lot of people turn to. Like to read crime novels, but that's one of the things they like to see the bad guy punished and the good guy triumph. But in my novel, where it's really not so clear who is like the bad guy in inverted commas, um, or not always, that it's, it becomes like a, a slightly more difficult question as to who, who gets, you know, what 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 would the right outcome look for this group of people. And
0: that's definitely something that the the as the reader you're contemplating as well because for me it didn't become as much about figuring out like you know who did it it was more like what is going to happen to these characters as a group and as individuals and so it was more like you wanted answers to a lot of questions instead of a singular question throughout the novel.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a there is a whodunit in there, but that, to me, that's not necessarily the most important part of the book. I mean, I want it to be obviously. If you come to 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 pick up a crime or mystery novel, you want there to be a puzzle at it heart. That's part of the fun of reading these kind of things. Is that there's a puzzle to be solved, and it's. But for me, it's never the most important when I'm reading a crime. Novel or a mystery novel, that's not the most important bit. It doesn't matter to me if I have figured it out, as long as that if I find the characters um, interesting and well realized, if I think the psychological motivations are satisfying, and if I think there are, it's opening up questions to me of you know, or doing something clever with structure or what have you so there's lots of different things I think you can take from from these sorts of novels and yeah the done it is is part of it but it's not the it's not the only part of it and in in this particular novel I think yes you're, you're right that it's not actually the even possibly the most important question there's a why done it that's going on in there as well and there's this there's all these other questions that kind of open up uh, over the course of the book
0: I, I love that you started with Laura because I found myself drawn to her immediately in the way that, you know, she gets herself into trouble, but also uh, she's incredibly likable throughout the book. And to me, I don't necessarily have to like all of the characters. And I mean, that's not really, I guess, the point for me for a character. But for Laura, you just can't help but like her and want to be like, oh, honey, like, come over have a cup of tea do you remember how um she came to your mind because you mentioned earlier that the whole the the book started with her and she was like that that image that kind of inspired the you know you working on this new project I'm so glad that
1: you you that you feel affectionate <laughs> towards Laura because so do I and I was thinking about a character like that because so a, a friend of mine had tol- told me a story about someone she knew whose daughter had had um had been in an accident it's not the same thing that happened to Laura but sort of a sort of similar situation where this girl this young woman had ended up with um sort of uh, changes to her behavior and that it was very worrying for the family because she was suddenly behaving in ways that they they felt would would make her vulnerable and that was what kind of what i was thinking about is a character that behaves who maybe seems kind of outrageous and bold and, and, you know, crazy in inverted commas, you know, doing wild things. But actually under all of that, there's this real vulnerability and a rawness. And, um, you know, so you, you can be taken aback by that character, be shocked by her. But you, they, people don't un, understand that this is someone who's actually really struggling and that that, that, the, that the boldness is not, not all there is to her. There's also something very tender underneath and somebody who actually probably could really do with, as you said, someone to put their, her, their arms around her and give her a cup of tea and take care of her. But she doesn't want to be taken care of not all the time anyway. So she's, she's a whole big bundle of contradictions. She's also got, you know, I think she's got this, she's got an incredibly generous, kind streak, but then we see her do terrible things as well. We see her make dreadful choices and, you know, do criminal things. So she's, she's a character that I, I really thought that a reader could be compelled by, see, part of, you know, see part of themselves and possibly, or someone they know, and just really want to follow her around and see what, you know, see where she ended up.
0: I really loved reading her part of the story as a disabled person and an neurodivergent person. I felt that she was such a unique character in that I hadn't really read too many characters like this who have either chronic conditions or disabilities and those run in with law enforcement there's a lot of literature on um, law enforcement failing people with conditions like laura has and so seeing that play out in a page and a crime novel as as part of her story it's not the center focus of the story but it's just part of who she is was something that i felt very very seen in and was something that i i wish I, i could see more of in you know crime novels
1: yeah, I mean, I think oh, I'm glad. I'm glad that you feel that way about it. And I did want her to feel, you know, I did want to to be careful of it with with writing, you know, a character that, you know, she's not like me. She is a different, but she's not representative of anything. But what I want, what I felt was very crucial to get right is that she has agency. She's her own person. She's not just some victim or whatever. But also this feeling of her this sense that people judge her unfairly sometimes people don't get the context they're not they're taking her at face value they're not taking the time to understand where it is that she comes from and and I was just one you know thinking about how that, that makes that adds a whole other layer of difficulty to just so many of your interactions particularly one where you managed to get yourself into trouble or by you know not got yourself into trouble but ended up in trouble through no fault of your own. Um, You know, what that must be like for somebody like that and how careful we sometimes need to be with people who we meet just randomly. And you you don't know, you know, where they're coming from, what they're going through. And we should all maybe think, you know, carefully about how we deal with people.
0: And the way that she communicates is very much more more frank, more blunt. That's part of her condition. Mm -hmm. And uh, when she's, you know, discussing things with the police who show up to chat with her, uh, she struggles to help herself out because she wants to be very truthful. And for her, very truthful is very truthful. And uh, (laughs) did you do any sort of research into like further research um, into people like Laura who have a similar condition?
1: Yeah, I I read, I mean, I read um, stuff online about it. I've got a couple of books about it. Um, But, and I also, I did show some of some scenes to somebody who has more experience of of this than well certainly more experience than I do so I did get someone to take a look to make sure I hadn't done, said you know done anything stupid basically um so I did yeah I wanted to get her right but the thing about the condition that that Laura has I guess is that it could mani- it can manifest in lots of different ways and it can be you know extreme or or or, or, or sort of milder and it it, it the way she behaves is influenced by the situation she happens to find herself in. so there's room for maneuver there but I did want to make sure that I was writing something that felt true that's what you always want with any character you want to write someone who feels like they they're true that 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 this is possibly the way they would they would behave and also the way other people would respond to them so I think it's it's a you know it's a two-way street really
0: and she has so much heart to her. And there's this scene where uh, an older woman has locked herself out of her house and she, you know, struggles with memory, and uh, you know, Laura shows up and it's just a, a kind-hearted warm, you know, just warm soul. And I felt that this was definitely a meeting between two characters who have a chronic illness or chronic condition or disability of various kinds, meeting and helping each other out in, in different ways, and it was such a it was such a key moment in the novel for me because these are two women who are often forgotten by society because of their where the places that they hold. Um, but they they found each other. They come from very different backgrounds, but uh, they they create a friendship.
1: Yeah, that was, and that's a very important part of the book for me that relationship between Laura and Irene who's a much older woman who's you know on her own she's widowed now but they are both very open and they are both so where somebody else might have just walked past Irene and ignored her Laura partly because of the person she is in the book because of the problems she's she's suffered and the the treatment that she suffered immediately goes to help this woman and wants to to sort things out for her because she knows what it's like to be sort of ignored or marginalized or, or you know so I, I do think there was there was definitely a, I could imagine a relationship between those two people even though as you say they're very different very different backgrounds you know Laura's in her 20s Irene's 80 but because they're both so open and they're both ex- essentially generous spirited individuals they they could immediately form a connection and and see you know see something in each other
0: they're just some of the some of the best scenes for me or my favorite scenes, I should say, were between the two of them. And when the police, you know, come around to talk to Irene or or you know, she she has these moments where she wants to be truthful, but she's worried that it might make that person she's talking about look bad. And she's not sure how to how to handle it. And I felt like she very much struggle with a lot of similar things that Laura struggled with when she was talking to the police or or to other people. Yeah. And I think uh, also
1: Irene feels very keenly the fact that she's, she knows how people see, they think, you know, she's imagining, oh, they just see me as this, this doddering old woman, you know, that who, who's sort of not fully uh, in control of her, you know, her mind. So she she's very conscious of how she, and she doesn't want to appear, um, you know, vague or not completely on it so but there's a lot in this novel and I think in all of my novels about how people feel they are perceived and how they you know they, how they imagine the world looking at them and I think that's that's that comes out of the fact that I write about characters who, who maybe are a bit marginalized or are outsiders or who don't quite fit who don't meet society's expectations in some way or another and so then they and and also it's possibly a, a, a to do with being a bit lonely as well you became you become maybe a bit hyper aware of how other people see you if you're if you're lonely I think I believe this is the you know that that's something that applies so so the people are very conscious in this novel about how how they're perceived and and they alter their behavior accordingly and sometimes I think people overcorrect in in those kind of situations where they're very worried about how they're being perceived
0: that was something that made me very excited about the book because I love mysteries and thrillers with multiple perspectives. And when you uh, came out with your second book, Into the Water, it was just this huge cast of characters and I I loved it. I loved putting these puzzle pieces together and I love getting to see you like stretch your wings into um, expanding how many perspectives there were and like up to the challenge level as it were. And in this book, there's also a huge cast of characters. How do you figure out like, the narrative voice for each of the characters, and how do you make sure there isn't too much overlap between that?
1: Well, I mean, I I'm, that's I'm really glad that you enjoyed Into the Water. I think I was I got a lot of criticism for how many characters there were in there, and I think people felt perhaps that I didn't differentiate enough. It is something I think that you can only come to you from practice, from Again, as, I, as going back to what I said before, you have to really know these characters well in order to make them distinctive. I think in this case, we've got very, very different people, um, although four of the main characters are women. They're women at different times of life and they're women in very different situations. So the differentiation between them was probably easier than, say, for example, The Girl on the Train, where there were three young women who had very similar sort of backgrounds and situations and ages and all those kind of things. So I think in this novel, it was perhaps slightly easier to di- differentiate but po- possibly this just comes with practice too it just comes with knowing your character and finding you have to really look, think about the rhythms of people's speech and about the way they would the way they would talk to this particular person the way they would look at them the way they would respond to them um yeah it's just it, it does take a while
0: I really, I I really enjoyed the audiobook versions of all three of your books. And I love the different choices for the narrators um, in previous books. But this book is narrated by Rosalind Pike, which, I mean, that is an all-star, like, option <laughs> there.
1: Yeah, I was, I was very pleased when she said yes.
0: <laughs> so I really enjoyed the audio. Do you listen to the audiobooks once they come out? Or is that like... I don't know, some people don't like to listen to them talk. So is that like the equivalent for you? Um, I don't, I haven't listened
1: to them all the way through. I I do listen to sort of little bits. I find it quite painful to hear my own words read back to me um, in the same ways like you know, it can be painful to look at pictures of yourself or see videos of yourself, whatever. I I don't know why, because I mean, I think Rosamond, for example, reads it beautifully and puts so much... Into, into it and I and she really inhabits the characters but yeah I do find it difficult to listen all the way through um I enjoy an audiobook myself I don't listen to them as much because I guess I don't commute or anything so I don't have like an ideal time for listening to them but I do think it can bring a whole new sort of dimension to to a novel to to listen to it read to you and I love that it really takes you back to childhood I think listening to an audiobook because so it's like it's having a story told to you there's something really lovely about that
0: I love the way that there can be so much added or or um, maybe not added is the right word highlighted in the book about certain things about it via audio. So like dialogue, for example, um, can be so well performed, it makes it like pop off the page, as it were. And it just really adds uh, some dimension to it. And that's what I really love what a great narrator, narrator can do. And Rosamund Pike definitely does that. She is she's phenomenal. I I keep thinking it was narrated by more than one person, but it's just it's just her. <laughs> just her. I think the other thing that an
1: audiobook does is that it stops you skipping ahead. You know, you can't like you can do that thing in a novel where your eye just skims the page. When you're listening to an audiobook, you've got to listen to it at, you know, they've got to listen to every single word, and which is wonderful. I think it's a really good it it kind of keeps you in the moment. It keeps you in the the scene that you should be concentrating
0: on. So I wanted to ask you a fun question. Um, I love that all of your books are so different. And they definitely have different feels for me when I think about them, there are particular images that I have of each of the books. And, and I love that they are also different in that way. But if you could challenge yourself and write about anything that you wanted to write about, like not worrying about logistics or like marketing or anything, what would your dream writing project be?
1: Oh, that is really difficult. I mean, I guess I do have a hankering, a sort of desire to write about where I come from, which is in Southern Africa. I, I grew up in Zimbabwe and um one day, eventually, I would maybe like to write a novel set there or rooted in Southern Africa. I think it would be it would feels it would feel so personal to me. I'm quite scared of doing it, but I think that's that's what I would like to write about.
0: such a fabulous idea. And you can just tell your, your agent and your publicist now, like there are people, they would read it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, my last question for you is what have been some of the books that you've really enjoyed reading recently that you would like to share with our listeners? I'm reading a book called the Island of Missing Trees right at the moment by Elif
1: Shafak. Um, who's a, she's born in Turkey and, um, and it's a it's a novel that's set in well, partly in london and partly in cyprus um and it's kind of, it's a love story but it's also um it's kind of a tragedy as well which is right up my street and it's partly narrated by a tree which sounds really weird but it's amazing by a fig tree so that's brilliant um on the more sort of crimey side of it the, I've read recently Megan Abbott's most recent novel The Turnout and Laura Lippman's most recent novel um Dream Girl both of which are absolutely brilliant terrifying noir um I would highly recommend both of those and uh, finally, a novel that's going to be out next year is this one called Notes on an Execution by Dania Kukavka. Um, And I think lots of people will be talking about that one, too.
0: Well, those sound fabulous. And I will make sure to link those in the show notes for our listeners. Um, but thank you so much, Paula, for coming on the podcast. It's been lovely to chat with you about your latest book. It's
1: been great to talk to you. Thank you so much.
0: I'd like to thank Paula Hawkins for talking with me about her latest novel, A Slow Fire Burning, which is out now from Riverhead Books. You can find her on her website, paulahawkinsbooks.com, and on Instagram at paulahawkins2010. Many thanks to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. This episode was produced and edited by me, Kendra Winchester. Our music is by Miki Saito with Isaac Green. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women.